I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you are new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Guys, you know what time it is? A little shameless self-promo. If you haven't yet, I would love if you left Kind of Cute a review on Apple Podcasts. But most importantly, I know I'm always like hyping up, giving me a review, following Kind of Cute Podcasts on Instagram, Bailey Evan on Instagram. But what is really important is that if you like this podcast, tell your friends about it. Spread the love. Speaking of love, I would like to send some love to Texas right now. One of my very close friends lives there. She's in Houston and she's safe and warm, but I know so many people are struggling there. And I think here in Florida and Houston, they know what it's like when a natural disaster hits. And it's so crazy because I was thinking about when hurricanes hit here we're used to the power going out, but it's always hot as balls when the hurricanes hit. And I had never even thought about the issues that can come with power outages and being in the extreme cold that they're facing right now. So any, if there's anyone who's listening to this and you're out there, just know that we're all with you sending love. I want to, I guess I'm really on a love thing because I wanted to talk about Valentine's Day. Did you guys have any fun stories? If you did, slide into the DMs. I would love to hear about it. Do you have anything like really, really raunchy, really embarrassing happen? I uh, went to dinner with my sister. Actually, we went on Valentine's Day. We had like a pretty chill actual Valentine's Day. But on Valentine's Day, the day before, on that beautiful holiday created by Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec, we went to California Pizza Kitchen. Guys, I have been excited about this all week. They were running a special. I've been shouting this from the rooftop to anybody who will listen. It was, did I talk about this last week? Please tell me I didn't. I don't think you did. Okay. She's like, you've talked about it 5 million times, so I don't know if you talked about it last week or not, but you've talked about it 5 million times. So it was a deal. It was $35. You got a starter. So we got guac and chips, and then you could pick between three Andres. You could pick two of them. So we got a pizza and a salad and a dessert. All of that was $35. And our pizza was shaped like a heart. Like California Pizza Kitchen, I don't know if you're giving out uh, sponsorships to podcasts, but I will hype y'all the hell up. I would die for that barbecue chicken pizza. Obviously, we get it with pineapple instead of chicken. They do have a chicken substitute that is so delicious, guys. If you eat plant-based meat, Oh my God, it's amazing. I just had to share that with you guys because like it really made my weekend. I'm still thinking about it. The heart-shaped pizza, I mean, it was actually shaped like a heart. It wasn't It wasn't janky, you know, like it looked good. And while we're talking about love, I realize like every single update I have today is about love. Like I guess I had it on the mind. It's February, guys. We're about to go into Pisces season. You know how I feel about that water sign, but uh, it's happening. It's coming. So Paris Hilton is engaged to a man named Carter Room. It's R-E-U-M. It's very adorable because she was engaged on Valentine's Day, which is also her birthday. It was her 40th birthday. And I had to look this up because this was her fourth engagement. And I'm not going to lie to y'all. I thought this was legit her 14th engagement. Like in my mind, Paris Hilton has been engaged every year to someone else, like since she was on The Simple Life. But no, it's just her fourth. So really, she's still like in starter marriage territory. And 
I'm just so happy for her. He is a venture capitalist. He is also 40. He went to Columbia. I mean, I just love this for her. That guy who she was with when she was on the documentary, they weren't ever engaged, but they seemed a little bit hot and heavy. He was a complete dirtbag. I was so happy when he she ditched him at the music festival and just kicked him the hell out. So I really hope her and Carter can make this work. I really, I don't know. This seems like a good match because he seems smart. I think she's, she's very smart. And I love that they're the same age. It's just mm, sexy. I'm into it. He's cute too. Uh, this is a love story I don't want to talk about, but I feel like MGK, Machine Gun Kelly, has been featured quite heavily since he started dating Angelina Jolie. And we obviously went into his 45-minute music video masquerading as a movie with Lil Huddy from TikTok. Um, It came out because he posted it on his Instagram that he wears Megan Fox's blood around his neck because he posted a picture with her on his Instagram and it said, I wear your blood around my neck. And then there was photos and one of them was a pendant and had a little red splotch on it, so anyone reading it can only assume that that is Megan Fox's blood. And famously, Billy Bob Thornton, Billy Bob, is that that's the same, right? Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie. Yeah. I don't know that hillbilly dude. He he gives me the creeps. Like you know how he plays the creepy president on Love Actually. That's just how I imagine him being in real life. And they did the whole blood around the thing, and then and then she also like. Didn't she, she had the weird shit with her brother at the same time. Yeah. So again, I don't know if like that era of pop culture is something that MGK and Megan Fox need to be bringing back. On the other hand, this very much makes sense for them as a couple because he loves that little emo pop vibes. Bloody Valentine. She's so hot like Angelina is. Yeah. It's kind of a compare. She's kind of like that dark look the way Angelina is. Like, Yeah, it's a very parallel thing. I get it, but I don't like it, and I don't have to like it. Speaking of more paramours, Courtney and Travis Barker confirmed they were together because she did a little hand reveal on Instagram, so it was her hand holding his very tatted one. He is vegan and sober. I bring this up because Kenzie just went on a date with a boy who's vegan and sober, so maybe Kenzie's the next Courtney Kardashian. Watch out, world. All right, getting off the love train. I'm very happy about this one. You guys know I'm from Countdown County, 321, Space Coast, Kindy Space Center, baby. They launched the Mars rover called Perseverance, which is honestly a great name for something that has to go 300 million miles. Uh, That's some perseverance for you. Next time I'm down, I'm just going to be like, you know, if Perseverance can get to Mars, Bailey, you can get through this day. And I'm very happy for it. I think the whole control, what is it called? Like Houston, we have a problem. What's the control room? The control room? That's the... I think it's ground control. Yeah, ground control. They were all ecstatic. I'm ecstatic for them. I just had to give you guys a little space update. You know, it's been a while. All right. I think it's time for our first article of the day. Side parts are for olds by Erica Smith. Now, if the heading doesn't make it clear, we are talking about side parts in your hair. And by olds, I think that refers to anyone aged millennial or older. 
And I love Gen Z so dearly. That is not a secret. I want to be them. I want to be friends with them. I want to, in my mind, be their same age because I'm in denial about the fact that I'm 32 and age is just a number, yada, yada, yada. And my Botox keeps me looking kind of young. You know, I wear some butterfly clips and next thing you know, I could be like a good 28 maybe. (laughs) Kids who's skeptical. She's like, yeah, in your dreams. (laughs) So it does give me a twinge of pain in my heart of hearts whenever Gen Z hates on millennials because I really admire them in a lot of ways. And this thing is lessened a little bit because I know my Gen Z siblings are aware that I am just as cool as they are. Like my brother last week was literally showing off his Dungeons and Dragons, the Essentials handbook that he had just purchased. And I... I preach on here all the time that I think it is so cool to do what you love and be into your passions. But come on, dude, you're playing freaking D&D. Like you aren't in a spot to judge my emoji choices or my hair part. So the first thing that has really caused a chasm between the Malins and the Zalins is this hair part issue. Now, as the cut reminded me, it gave me a little refresher because I had heard this sound a million times on TikTok, but I didn't know where the sound had originally originated. And if you've literally never opened up TikTok, a lot of what people do on it is they will take a sound. So it'll be someone talking and saying something. And then people will take that sound and they will use it on their own video. So the cut writes, the discourse reached its peak last summer when Gen Z TikTok user Lady Gleep, at Lady Gleep, made a declaration about hair division that's now divided down generational lines. And she said, prove me wrong, but I don't think there is a single person who looks better with a side part than they do a middle part. She then asked anyone with a side part to make it a middle one to prove her point, that the middle part is far more supreme. So that's what I mean. It would be this, this sound... People would take the sound, film themselves doing a side and middle part, and let the comments decide which one they think is better. And most of the time, and maybe it's because there is a younger crowd on TikTok, I think people would always say, oh my gosh, no, you're wrong. The middle part does look better. Even when the person was staunchly like, no, the side part looks better on me. And I will say that I personally switch between the two. Although in college, I was a staunch side parter. I had that deep bang, you know, the side cut bang that I would cut myself. So half the time it was too short and I couldn't even side swipe it. It was just (laughs) there. It was just on one half of my head. And I was definitely trying to be like Nicole Richie or Linslow. But I looked like the freaking pioneer woman. It just was not cute. So currently I do wear my hair more often with a middle part because I think it looks a little more modern. But I stand by the fact that unless you have a perfectly symmetrical face, which I 1000% do not. I have a major squinty eye that squints way. It's just smaller, I guess, than my other it's eye. Only when you like smile. But I'm always smi- smiling. Like, smiling it's like when you smile in a photo like I watch you smile you smile normal it's fine no I can smile in a photo I think it's you get nervous because you're getting your photos and you're like "Ah." Kenzie and I just have to agree to disagree on this because I can literally feel that my one eye just like squinches up more it's fine it is what it is the fact of the matter is my face is not symmetrical and when you don't have a symmetrical face sometimes I think it can It can lessen the blow of that by not highlighting that fact and parting your hair down the side. I also have a very extreme cowlick on one side of 
of my head that can be very highlighted by a middle part. And let me tell you, the Florida humidity does not help with keeping things looking fresh and fun. And a side part, again, can really help with that, you know? So before you have an existential crisis and you're just appalled and want to turn off this podcast because I'm 11 minutes in and ranting about side parts, I wanted to read you this comment, which I think is actually very indicative of my interactions with our little Gen Z friends. And I think it goes to the heart of what they're really like. So she writes, hi, Gen Zer here. This is a pretty bad excuse for an article. Most people in my generation don't actually care about what you look like, especially not about an arbitrary hair part. In fact, much of Gen Z thrives on embracing one's individuality, regardless of how old you are. So keep on rocking your side parts and don't let a mere article get in your way, queens. Sparkle emoji. So I believe this is a Gen Zer just because of the general condescending tone of it. Because while I love them, can they get on their high horse a little bit? Yes, it's part of why I love them. But I do. They really do. Like, way more. Like, they always going to be like, um, I'm sorry, but your commentary just does not match with the narrative that is being told right now. And I'm like, you're 15. Yeah. My, my sister Danny has been like that since she was eight. Like she thought she knew, knows everything. She still thinks that. And I, you know, I thought it was a her thing, but maybe it is a generational thing. And just in general, they can be a little savage on TikTok. So they were also coming for skinny jeans, but I don't even care about that. Whatever. I, I think all of this shit, it doesn't matter. Wear what's flattering. Wear what makes you feel good. Wear what's cool. I don't need to tell you that. But let me tell you what I did take issue with some Gen Z TikTokers coming for. And that is saying that the use of the laugh cry emoji is lame and ages you. I'm sorry. What is better than the laugh cry emoji? Like, I'm not going to do a soft smile when something's really funny, but sometimes it's not at the level where I want to do a skull, like that I'm dead and deceased. You know, I want something in between. I don't know what they propose for that. I don't care. I'm going to keep using my laugh cry emoji and feeling self-conscious about it as I do, but whatever. That's what I say to that. All right. Our next article is something a lot more serious. Reply All is Having Its Own Reckoning Now by Nicholas Qua. This is a story in Vulture. You guys know on here sometimes we cover Vulture stories because it is a part of New York Mag, just like The Cut is, and they were the ones covering this story for now. Before I get into Reply All, I have to say Nicholas Qua, it's funny because he has this newsletter through Vulture. It's called 1.5 Speed, and he highlights certain podcasts Um, in this newsletter that he recommends and that he thinks you should listen to. And when I first heard he was going to do this, I think it was like a little tiny line at the bottom of a a Vulture article just saying that this newsletter was going to come up and that you could sign up for it. And when I saw who the author was, I immediately followed on on Instagram and I reached out to him and I was like, okay, I know this is like self-promo and you probably don't care, but please like listen to my podcast. (laughs) Like how naive of me that someone who writes for Vulture is going to listen to kind of cute and be like, yeah, let's because because what he puts in the newsletters, I would say are much more kind of like established podcast ones that are under very well-known networks. So not at all to hate on kind of cute, just like I don't think it is on the level of polished professionalism that he is looking for in his 
newsletter. And I definitely don't think he's wanting a recommendation from the podcast hosts themselves to be included in his newsletter. So I'm sure it will be very obvious to you that he never responded to my email or DM, but I just wanted to let you guys know that I tried to put myself out there. And if you guys would ever like to recommend Kind of Cute to 1.5 speed, you know, reach out to Nicholas Qua and let him know. But back to this this article and this story. The test kitchen, I actually talked about it, I believe last week. I said it was worth listening to because we had talked on this podcast about the whole reckoning that happened with Bon Appetit last summer where their editor-in-chief, Adam Rappaport, was, uh, well, I mean, it was a very layered thing, but Sola L. Whaley basically called for him to resign and brought up the fact that he had dressed in brown face for Halloween. And that was kind of used as the impetus to make him step down or fire him, even though there was way more issues even deeper than that and structural issues but Sola Elwaley, who was one of the editors at Bon Appetit, she was video talent, recipe editor. She sort of started this whole reckoning. And it highlighted a lot of the racial issues that were going on, not just at Bon Appetit, but at Condé Nast in general. And Condé Nast, as you will probably know, is like the overarching publication that Bon Appetit and a lot of other huge verticals like Vogue fall under. And basically everyone, it really just, with everything that was happening in the world last year, it was an explosion. And like I said, we talked about it on here a fair amount. You can go back and listen to those episodes. And again, I really loved this Test Kitchen show because it was very conscious about the fact that it was hearing from all of the people who had been affected by this disgusting treatment at Bon Appetit. And a lot of the things are subtle and many times just not giving a voice to the people of color who worked at Bon Appetit. And I thought the podcast, even though it's only two episodes in, so far has done a really good job of interviewing relevant people, giving their perspective, giving them a voice. And I couch this with how I couch any discussion about race that I am a white, privileged ass girl. I can only come at it from that viewpoint. But I did think it was important to have a podcast that was focused on these voices instead of giving so much airtime to someone like an Adam Rappaport. So that being said, I enjoyed the podcast so far. I thought it was cool. I thought it was well done. The Reckoning with Reply All, the podcast, see, it gets really meta because Bon Appetit had their reckoning. They're still dealing with the aftermath of it because their whole like original crew kind of jump ship. Now Reply All is having a reckoning because Reply All, the normal podcast, one of the co-hosts is PJ Vote. He stepped aside to let Sruthi Pinamanini, Kenzie, how do you say this? Indian, I think. Pina Manini. Um, so Sruthi stepped in to do the reporting for Reply All. But normally PJ Vote hosts Reply All with another male co-host. And it, I think the reasoning was kind of like, oh, Sruthi is a woman of color, so she's probably more positioned to 
get this story and tell this story. But then a man named Eric Eddings, he is a black man who used to work at Gimlet. Gimlet is the network that Reply All is under, published a Twitter thread, and he accused both Sruthi and Vote of contributing to a toxic dynamic at Gimlet that was near identical to the Bon Appetit culture depicted in the mini-stories. He said, the BA staffer's stories deserve to be told, but to me it's damaging to have the reporting and storytelling come from two people who have actively and aggressively worked against multiple efforts to diversify Gimlet's staff and content. And he laid out what happened was in 2019, there had been push by certain employees at Gimlet to form a union to help with working conditions. And allegedly, Sruthi and Vote both were really against this unionization. So obviously, uh, Eddings, Eric Eddings, did not feel supported by them at all. And that's why he was like, well, what the fuck? Now you're doing this podcast like when you literally contribute to this at our own workplace and his thread I read the whole thing and he talks about how Reply All was and is an island at Gimlet it's the brand's biggest show and how that really showed in its resources and power so he says when they spoke the company listened but they rarely exercised this power beyond the scope of their team it was a click and he says that he talked to PJ Vote multiple times and asking him to contribute to diversity efforts, asked him to join a diversity group, to lend a voice at staff meetings, and just anything to show the staff that he cares. And he, uh, supposedly his response was that he liked that Reply All was perceived as a clique or a club and that he cared about diversity but would have to think about more how he could get it involved beyond his team. So in the aftermath of that, Vote stepped down as the host from Reply All, which is actually a pretty huge thing because that is one of the most popular podcasts. And like I said, especially under Gimlet, I think it is their most popular. So it was a big move for him to step down. And the company also announced that Sruthi is not going to be moving forward on hosting Reply All as of now. And like I said, this is a very professional, highly edited podcast that they put out. So I am wondering like how much that's affecting the rest of the team and the producers and the editors who work on the show to figure out how they can now completely restructure this podcast and get out the episodes in a way that Sruthi is not involved in. They both issued apologies. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it's just it, the meta-ness of it is so crazy to me. And just the fact that this is so pervasive in the media world, which... Before this stuff came to light, I mean, stupidly, I just, I didn't realize how pervasive it was. And it's like, I think, you know, at a base level, you realize it's pervasive in everything. It's pervasive in our entire world. But you almost like, you want to think, oh, these things are so forward thinking. They're so like giving this image of inclusivity that it's wild when you're like, damn, sometimes they're the most entrenched in it. So I wanted to get, get you guys caught up in that. I think it will be... Worth noting to see what direction that goes. And I mean, props to Eric Eddings for speaking up because can you imagine sitting back and watching that happen and just be like, wow, the hypocrisy of someone telling this story when they just didn't support me at all. So I totally get where he's coming from. Okay, you guys know we like to swing. We like to get a little whiplash in this. We got a very lighthearted article next. I wish I could turn into a raccoon and be free by Andrew Wynn. 
I know I don't do a ton of fashion articles on here, but I had to talk about this one for reasons that will soon become very clear. This is about a fashion designer named Kalina Strada. I looked up their website and their stuff is so cool. Kenzie, you have to look up their stuff. You would love it. They have these yellow pants with fruits on them. They have rhinestone covered water bottles, which are $100. But honestly, I'm like, I would fuck with that. Like, that's cute. They're like little checkerboard. I mean, they're very, their whole aesthetic, it's a lot of pastels, very interesting shapes, cool cutouts. So their fall collection is called Kalina Males. <laughs> like Kalina mixed with animals. And the brand teamed up with David Mattingly, who is the original artist responsible for every single Animorphs cover. It's so cool, guys. So in the show notes, the designer asks, what animal would you be? And so they had David morph the models into animals, a la Animorphs, because I guess this is like, you know, a way to deal with the fact that we're still in a COVID time and having kind of a virtual fashion show. And this felt very fortuitous to me because weirdly enough, I was Wikipediaing Animorphs the other day because somehow, even though I literally gobbled up those books as a kid, I totally forgot the whole alien plot. Like I completely had forgotten that aliens were the ones who gave them their morphing powers. I know your memory is so much better than mine. What? Oh my God. Read them. I knew the premise. They're so good. Yeah. They save an alien, yes, and then he gifts them with this power, but then he also has to use them as like his animal army to help save the world from the evil aliens. I mean, apparently I've always been like a little sci-fi hoe because I was so into it, but just blacked out the fact that they were aliens. So the author of this article says that he would like to be a raccoon, and he says, as a raccoon, I could roam the city free, eating weed, getting drunk on crab apples, and bamboozling the NYPD. And that is very cute, funny, and noble. Um, but see, I feel like if I was a raccoon, I would end up as, why am I blinking on what that word is? Like road meat, like road, roadkill, road dinner. I would be road, I'd be vulture dinner, roadkill on the side of the road. I see so many dead raccoons. Like I tear up like on a daily both basis driving to work because I see dead raccoons. So, you know, I was thinking about like what I would like to be. And as a, you know, I'm a dog person. And I know this is so cliche and I've never really said this as my answer because usually I'm like, I'd like to be a platypus because like they're fun and like they're mammals, but they like lay eggs, you know, like they're quirky. Okay, this is you like suppressing the fact that you did absorb Phineas and Ferb. No, I've like never seen Phineas and Ferb. But see, I just decided I think I would have to be like top of the predator chain, like a really powerful big cat, like just fucking shit up, eating shit with my teeth, ripping things up. And I think it's because it's so different than how I am. Like I go, no, you guys are probably sick of me saying this, but I don't eat meat. I literally look at pictures of baby cows and baby pigs and like cry over the fact that I like have to feed my dog meat and, and the fact that they get cold. Like I, I get a little too emotional about it as I like carry my leather bag. I know I'm, I'm an enigma. Um, but, but (laughs) 
<laughs> the thought of just being able to like be the top of the food chain, ripping shit up, running as fast as I can, being powerful, hunting. Like, I don't know. I think it's just like the animalistic nature of it is so different than who I am that it just really speaks to me. And then the other really cliche thing I'd like to be is a dolphin because of that stupid ass dolphin book that I had to look up before this, even though I'm pretty sure in one of my early podcasts, I talked about this book. It's the one where the font starts out really big and she's like a dolphin girl. It's called The Music of Dolphins. I'm pretty sure like everyone in the third grade read this book. <laughs> a ring. Do you remember the movie A Ring of Endless Light? It was no. a Disney Channel movie. It was with Ryan Merriman and Misha Barton. Oh shit, let's watch that. Disney Plus, here we come. We're watching some Misha like, Barton. Like she could talk to dolphins. Yeah, this one was more like she kind of was a dolphin. She was oh. like a feral dolphin girl. Like instead of like raised by wolves, she was like a dolphin girl. I can't you have to read it. It's amazing. Okay. So, um, okay. again, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, know I, I know I don't need to apologize every time, though, when I go from, like, a light article to a, a heavy one, but it just feels like I just can't in good conscience not. So this one, obviously, is much heavier, and it's called It's a Miracle I Came Out Alive. FKA Twigs opens up about her abusive relationship with Shia LaBeouf by Marhan Carlos. And this is an article in L. Now, FK Twigs, I'm going to call Twigs when I'm talking about her. She filed a civil suit against Shia LaBeouf back in December of 2020. FK Twigs is a musician. Shia LaBeouf, he was on Even Stevens, and now he's just become kind of like a cult actor almost. I feel like he's never in mainstream stuff anymore, but everyone kind of knows who he is because he was such a big child star. And I didn't talk about this story at the time when the suit came out because it just felt so heavy and sad and my heart really went out to Twigs and I'm talking about it now because Twigs is doing press right now and telling more of her side of the story which I think can be so much more powerful to talk about than what's contained within the four corners of a complaint that's filed in a court case and the physical and emotional and just everything abuse that she describes in this article is so sickening and heart-wrenching. So I'm not going to focus on a play-by-play. I think this article is so raw and well done and compassionate towards Twigs. Um, but like I said, it's hard to read. Your heart like can't not go out to her. It's, it's awful. Um, but... The author writes, I asked the singer how she narrowly survived this abusive relationship. And Twig said, I think it's luck. I honestly wish I could say that I found some strength and I saw this light. I wish I could say it's a testament to my strong character. It's the way my mother raised me. But it's none of that. It's pure luck that I'm not in that situation anymore. And oh, that was just like such a gut punch that she feels that way and had to go through that. And then the article goes on to say, at the time of her relationship, Twigs had a successful career, a home she could fly back to, financial security, and a network of support, and yet she was in no way inoculated against abuse. People wouldn't think that it would happen to a woman like me. The biggest misconception is, well, you're smart. If it was that bad, why didn't you leave? Her response, it can happen to anyone. And when the lockdown began and she realized how many women were potentially stuck inside with their abusers, she got very anxious. It made me realize I need to come forward and talk about my experience. And uh, I saw a quote of an interview she did with Gail King 
actually the cut posted this on on their Instagram and they wrote why didn't you leave is the question survivors of abuse are asked constantly here is FKA Twig's brave response to that question which we think everyone should hear so in the clip Gail King asks and nobody who has been in this position likes this question and I often wonder is it even an appropriate question to ask and you know the question is why didn't you leave and Twig says Yeah, and I think we just have to stop asking that question. I know you're asking it out of love, but I'm just going to make a stance and say that I'm not going to answer that question anymore because the question should really be to the abuser. Why are you holding someone hostage with abuse? You know, and people say, oh, it can't have been that bad because else she would have left. And it's like, no, because it was that bad, I couldn't leave. And I thought that was, I know I keep saying like so powerful and amazing her strength in this, but it really is. I think, you know, having the bravery even just say that to Kale to Gail, who is such a respected person in her own right. And I think she answered in a really respectful way, but put her foot down and said, I'm not going to answer that. And I think that's a change we all need to work towards by not putting this blame on the women. And I think maybe, you know, we were kind of aware of that maybe as kids because like our mom worked in the domestic violence section of the state attorney's office and you would just hear these stories and you realize like it's a vicious cycle and it can really it really can't happen to anyone and it's so easy to get caught in it and she twigs in the article brings up this love bombing technique that he would use and just showering her with love off the bat and then using love when he felt like he had gone too far in something to kind of pull her back in. And he would do just these really manipulative things by saying, if you loved me, you would do this. And then, and this is like, this is the minor stuff compared to the shit she went through. But to me, this was fascinating from a psychological perspective because she really just, he wore her down and he would verbally attack her for hours he would prevent her from sleeping and she believes that disrupting her sleep was a kind of psychological warfare that he deliberately waged on her and this immediately made me think of Keith Raniere from the Nexium cult he did that same thing he made them play those stupid volleyball games at midnight he would have them up at all hours of the night make them answer their texts right away everyone who was in the cult under what was the smaller cult called like the DOS yeah and then Paige Lorenze said that Army Hammer when they were dating he would make her do these protocol things where he would say she had to be like at his door on her knees and it was kind of disguised as this BDSM stuff but really it was just so manipulative and making her be at his beck and call Marilyn Manson would apparently stop girls from sleeping uh, and it's just scary that they use these techniques and how effective they are. And another really chilling part of the article is she talks about when he brought a gun into their bedroom and would keep it in the bedroom. And she was scared to get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom for fear that he might accidentally shoot her, mistaking her for an intruder. So at one point, she sent a picture of the gun to her manager she said, I thought to myself, if he shoots me and then if there's some sort of investigation, they will put the pieces together and I need to leave little clues. Oh, I just, again, my heart goes out to Twigs. It goes out to every woman who's had to face this sort of abuse. And again, like I just applaud her for putting this out there and being a brave, badass woman. 
again, we're swinging guys. We're going, we're going really far the other direction. How did we overlook the hotness of the Lord of the Ring orcs by Amanda Arnold? Now, it wasn't too long ago on this podcast that we discussed whether you are a Legolas or an Aragorn girl, and I was firmly team Aragorn, even though I think Orlando Bloom is hella hot. The blonde hair just wasn't doing it for me in the little elephant ears. It was a little bit too feminine for my liking. Well, the problem is, no matter how hot you are as an elf, you were going against Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn, and so you're never going to win that battle. Right, and then even Liv Tyler was just so stunning that I think her oh, yeah. stunningness sorry, overshadowed. Arwen and Aragorn, Arwen and Aragorn, like nothing, nothing will top them. I know we have Kate Blanchett as a Galadriel, and we had Legolas uh, with Orlando Bloom. We had the hot blonde elves. Mm-mm. Does not beat tall, dark, and handsome Aragorn. Tall, dark, and handsome Arwen. Is it clear that she is, again, the nerd of the family? I am the least nerdy of this family. And you're the one that went to the Ivy League. You know, whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, but back to one of my recent conversations, not to bring up Marilyn Manson again, but I was talking about how I can't look at his face too long before I want to barf. That is how I feel when I look at the orcs. Like, I find them truly repulsive. I think the makeup and costuming on the orcs is next level. They are freaky as shit. She's like, no, I'm a little turned on. (laughs) So we're going to get into this article, which fortunately is not about Marilyn Manson, but is about the orcs from Lord of the Rings. Like I said, these are disgusting creatures. They have kind of a bluish tint to their skin. They have the most messed up teeth. Like you think this is not British teeth. British teeth are amazing, gorgeous. These are what you can even compare them to like shark teeth in the sense that they're very pointy and they're kind of just everywhere you yes know, yes shark teeth, are very crooked. shark teeth but like dirty and like muddy the worst part of the orc scene i think what really solidified like the the grossness of the orcs is the scene and i think it's i can't remember if it's i think it's two towers um it's when the orcs are being made it's when you see them getting formed out of the mud and you see them like being born and it's gross because the mud looks like feces so it's just really disgusting but yeah maybe that was feces remember our discussion about holy shit and life coming from shit i totally bet it was that right or peter what was his name peter wasn't he the the director yes Whatever. That little short dude with the curly brown hair. You guys know who we're talking about. So this article, The Cut, writes, Somehow we never thought to extend our fixation to the most depraved of deaths to definitively rank the orcs of Middle-earth based on which one is sexiest. And they say, Thank God, goddess, one brilliant mind, a Mr. Kyle Wilson has risen to the occasion and done this necessary work, publishing a story on Polygon entitled The Orc Daddies of Middle-earth Ranked. And the cut goes on to say that undertaking alone is inspiring. And in the post, he identifies 21 orcs. <laughs> and he gave them monikers like wet orc, screaming queen orc, boss orc. Because I don't think any of them actually have names except for like a few. Uh, <laughs> ew. It says the left swipes you'd rather isn't guard would never unleash to the grade A babes to whom your hobbit hole is open anytime. I really could have gone without reading that sentence. I don't even, what is isn't guard? Okay, again, you're the nerd. Uh, don't, don't hate. Taking the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> in the two towers. It's literally, it's like, Legolas, what's your elf eyes see? And he's like, 
They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. That that re that remix of it. Have you never heard that? Okay, I'm gonna find the YouTube video for okay, you. Okay, we'll we'll insert that audio. God, God, not taking the hobbits to Isengard. God, 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 not taking the hobbits to Isengard. Not taking the hobbits to Isengard. Not taking the hobbits to Isengard. So I'm not gonna bore you guys with the whole list, but let me tell you, I looked at it and. Each one was more terrifying than the last. I don't know if I believe that they progressively got better as the list got higher. But if you would like to peruse some orc porn, I was trying to think of a good like combination. I was like, porkin? <laughs> Is that orc porn? Porkin. Orn. Orn. <laughs> I'll let you go peruse his article. It's obviously linked in the show notes. Um, and I will say, looking at his ranking, he definitely favored the hunky chunky orcs, the little beefy ones. They were at the top. He did not give love to the little skinny orcs. Now, to be fully transparent with you guys, I 100% talked about this. Not that it's not in line with what I would normally talk about, but I included it because it segues so perfectly into something that Kenzie and I think about a lot. Are you ready, Kenz? She's ashamed. I'm giving her the mic for this one because I will tell you that I never thought about this until a couple weeks ago when we were taking a walk and Kenzie scarred this into my brain. And now, unfortunately, I think about it a lot. Okay, the thing that we think about a lot is apparently there is um, a very big like sect of people who want to fuck the Grinch as in how the Grinch stole Christmas the Grinch, the little green fuzzy man from the Dr. Seuss books of our childhood. Uh, I first saw this. Um, it was a screenshot of some strange Reddit comment about this woman. And she's like, my husband um, is disturbed by my Grinch fetish because I want him to to Grinch like things while, you know, we're having sex. And he's kind of put his foot down and he and the entire time while she's explaining it, she's like, also, may I just say that this is a very common thing for people to be turned on to, but it's a taboo thing because it's the Grinch. Okay, wait, I have to take over here because she's telling, she's like, have you seen that Reddit post? Because I guess like the screenshot of it went around Tumblr and whatever, it came, became kind of viral. And she was like, the reason people thought it was so funny is because she's like, this girl was just so convinced that this was a normal thing. And a lot of people had this kink, if you will. Yeah. And when she read me the original post, I was like, this has to be a joke. Just the cadence of the way it was written, the tone of it. It literally seemed like someone trolling, you know? It did. It, it, 100%. Yes. Yeah. So when we got home, I said to Kenzie, I was like, you know, I have my work phone. So like, and we're sitting on the couch. I didn't want to go to my computer. I was like, can you just look up if that's a normal thing? Like, is she correct that a lot of people feel that way? And the answer is, yeah, she is correct. Because I just Google, like, is is finding the, the Grinch hot a normal thing? And the first thing I see up is a Vice article from 2018 saying a lot of people want to fuck the Grinch. And I spent a few minutes reading it out loud to Bailey. And yeah, a lot of people want to fuck the Grinch. It started mainly, um, it's mainly the Jim Carrey version which I don't know why, because it's just, I don't know, so off-putting. Hate, 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 hate. Double hate. Loathe entirely. 
I think he's funny as the Grinch, but like I don't like that version of the Grinch. I really understand the cartoon one more as deranged as that sounds. Yeah, I really only like the cartoon one, like the one that looks like the Dr. Seuss one. Like I don't I didn't even see the one with like stupid Benedict Cumberbatch like doing the voice because everyone said it was so terrible. And um, but it started out as people doing like Twitter polls and they were like, oh, is it just me or is like the Grinch looking thick today? And he does have a bedonkadonk. I mean, he's been packing, apparently, like just packing, packing in the back. Maybe he's packing in the front. I do not know. But everyone was really wanting to stare at the um, the bussy of the Grinch, if you will. No, never say that again. <laughs> what are you talking about? People who want to fuck the Grinch. And, I, and the, line is, the line of the sand is drawn at the word bussy. <laughs> Okay, well, before I literally self-combust over how uncomfortable I am, and I apologize in advance if now this haunting image is taken with you for the rest of the week. If it's stuck with us, it's stuck with you. We are bringing you down on this ship with us. We like to bring you up and let you suffer on this podcast. Um, yeah, I wish I had more to say about that. I really don't. Guys, for our deep cut today that we go back into the archives. I decided I felt like going back five years ago to February 26, 2016. And the first article that came up was that, well, I shouldn't say that came up, but that sparked my interest was the Fuller House stars make a case for TV reboots. And this was by the Vulture editors. Again, it was in Vulture. And they talked to Jody Sweeten and Dave Coulet. Coulet? Coulier? Coulet. I'm sorry, the pronunciation is off today, guys. But he obviously plays, you know, Joey. Jody Sweeten plays Stephanie Tanner. And clearly this was just them doing the press rounds to like hype up Fuller House. And I have to say, like before Fuller House came out, I was so amped about it because I am just like that millennial. I was like, yeah, give me the nostalgia. I want it. I need the comfort. And I will not lie to you guys. Like I remember this time very clearly. I lived in my old apartment. It was before I like bought my current house. I was in a very, very small apartment, lived by myself. And season one of Fuller House became my full on comfort watch for a little while. Like I just remember I would come home, watch a few episodes of it, like in the weekend, like watch it, like cry. Like it was a dark time. Like do you guys relate like certain TV shows to certain times in your life? And I don't remember clear, clear items from that time, but I remember just feeling like the only thing that can give me comfort right now is this stupid Fuller House show. And guys, it was awful. It was abysmal. There was nothing about it that was good. The original Full House was endearing in its cheesiness. Like it made sense. It fit the time it was in. The reboot did not. It was awful. It was just so bad. And I just wanted to share this uh, question. <laughs> so the heading is, it's okay that the Olsons aren't back because, you know, everyone was up in arms that like Mary-Kate and Ashley weren't returning. And before we get into that, can I say how crazy it is that back then, could any of us have guessed that Lori Laughlin, Aunt Becky would soon be in jail for like conning her kids in the USC? Like, wow, that that took a left turn. So 
So Dave says, now Mary-Kate and Ashley are running this clothing empire. I get it. I don't know how much I could reconnect with something I did when I was in diapers, but I think we were all a little disappointed because it would have been nice to be together again with them. And then Jody says, I had a feeling they might not want to come back and do it. Dave, we all understood where they're at at their lives. Jody, it was never something where we got our hopes up. And then Dave, they have an open invite to do the show. And is it just me or is there something like very depressing about that exchange? It was kind of like, we get it. They're busy. But like, you know, the door's still open. I know that you're not obscure and we are. But, you know, if you want to sit, sit down for dinner, you know, it's wide open. Everywhere you look. Everywhere. Yeah. So that was just kind of dark to me. Um and then actually, as the show went on, they made really like open jabs. I think it was season two where they just like went in on Mary Kay and Ashley. It was kind of like F you guys for not coming on our reboot. So I think they maybe at that point, the door was no longer open. So I just wanted to share that with you where I was five years ago and what Vulture was writing about five years ago. And now we have finally reached the part of the day where it is time for our legit shit. Unfortunately, this is another Amazon buy stupid Jeff Bezos. Here you go. I didn't know where else to get this though. And it is a, just a silicone plastic head massager that I bought because I have pretty bad psoriasis on my head and it said that it could maybe help with that. So, you know, really sexy me with my dandruff shampoo and my little head scrubber. What I bought as a practical thing has now become a very self-care item. It is so comfortable. You just like massage it in your head and it kind of gives you that feeling as when someone else is like rubbing their fingers through your hair or like when you're at the salon and they're doing your hair for you so obviously that is linked in the show notes i hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode and i will see you next week bye